Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast. I think I might be a bit quiet. I'm going to turn myself up a little bit. Is that better? Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the podcast of excellent human interaction. We are talking about book 11, R11, chapter 9. First of all, Pierre has three interesting dreams. What do you make of them? What is their significance? And um, Andre has died. Just to say what you want and need. Uh, I'll go for number one first for my own comments. The dreams. The dream. I, I'm not a fan of a dream sequence. I mean, I know they're so important in literature. And my my latest novel has a dream sequence. And I had quite a lot of fun cramming in some symbology and mythology and stuff like that into the dream. And just kind of subconscious hallucinations. But you got to keep it light, you know. And I think Tolstoy did. I think he, he made them feel real enough as dreams. And familiar enough as dreams. I think he did a good job. I think he did a really good job, actually. And I think I did a bad job by comparison with the dream sequences that I put in my book. I think I took too many liberties. And did all the things I dislike. But hey, this is not about me. Um significance well i don't even know if it's worth going into their significance you know i think there's symbolic significance uh and we could analyze it and speculate till the cows come home but i think what did they make you feel is really the the main thing and i think what what did they make me feel i can't really remember because they're so vague and dreamlike but um I think it's got something to do with Pierre not feeling quite at home with his set, maybe. Okay, point number two. Um, Andre has died. Just say what you want to need. Big Blue Banana says, that's a double take last line for sure. Wow, cold-hearted to close with the O, by the way. Yeah, I know. Oh, hey, by the way, Andre is dead. Haruki said, Prince Andre, part of me wonders if it's a fake out, like last time, where the news gets spread before anything happens. Feels like such a sad and incomplete end to his story. So sad to hear the news of Andre's death, told as an afterthought, says McCuddleson. Even in his death, he has to complete compete with Anatole for attention. Ah, oh, gosh. Ah... Uh, Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, I'm not buying Andre's death as an off-screen footnote. Off-screen footnote. Rumours of his death have been greatly exaggerated in the past. There's just no way. And Wop Wop Away says, Say psych right now. On one hand, it is this is a Russian book, and Tolstoy might be going for that there's no heroic deaths in war kind of thing. But on the other hand, there's some 500 pages left, surprising if one of the main characters dead already. I'm still kind of leaning towards it being just a rumor, or at the very least, we're going to be a chapter, get a chapter from Andre's perspective. Um, Well, Tolstoy does tend to do this kind of huge, impactful moment off screen. He does, he's not shy of doing that. Um, And, but then... I guess the question you got to ask yourself is, is he going to go for the double psych out? The double psych out is a bit of a, a bold move because Andre has been rumoured to have been dead 
and then shown up in the nick of time, you know, when his wife was pregnant and they all thought he was dead and they were waiting for the doctor to come and then the, the horse rocked up and, oh, it's not the doctor, it's my dead husband. Um, so I guess that's the, um, I don't know. I don't know. Would, would you go for a double psych out? Would that be good writing? to go for a double psych out, I guess is what you ask yourself. Anywho, let's keep reading. Chapter 10 goes on like this. On the 13th of August, Pierre reached Moscow. Close close to the gates of the city, he was met by Count Rostopchin's adjutant. We have been looking for you everywhere, said the adjutant. The Count wants to see you particularly. Rearranging my windows. I always forget to do this before I start reading. And then I try to do it while I'm reading and then I lose my spot. Um, if you're trying to imagine what I'm doing, because um, I read this online using a website, if it's full screen, though each line of text is extremely long, right? It's as long as oh my gosh, it's as long as a whole page, a whole screen. It's too long. Um, so if you spread it, if you minimize the page, you'll, um, get it to sort of a novel size. All right, there we go. So I'm completely distracted now by 150 other things that have popped up. Cool. All right. Good start to the podcast. Uh, all right, here we go. Reading for real this time. Chapter 10. On the 30th of August, Pierre reached Moscow. Close to the gates of the city, he was met by Count Rostopchin's adjutant. We have been looking for you everywhere, said the adjutant. The Count wants to see you particularly. He asks you to come to him at once on a very important matter. Without going home, Pierre took a cab and drove to see the Moscow commander-in-chief. Count Rostopchin had only that morning returned to town from his summer villa at Sokolniki. The anteroom and reception room of his house were full of officials who had been summoned or had come for orders. Vasilchikov and Platov had already seen the Count and explained to him that it was impossible to defend Moscow and that it would have to be surrendered. Though this news was being concealed from the inhabitants, the officials, the heads of the various government departments knew that Moscow would soon be in the enemy's hands, just as Count Rostopchin himself knew it, and to escape personal responsibility they had all come to the governor to ask how they were to deal with their various departments. As Pierre was entering the reception room, a courier from the army came out of Rostopchin's private room. In answer to questions with which he was greeted, the courier made a despairing gesture with his hand and passed through the room. While waiting in the reception room, Pierre, with weary eyes, watched all the various officials, old and young, military and civilian, who were there. They all seemed dissatisfied and uneasy. Pierre went up to a group of men, one of whom he knew. After greeting Pierre, they continued their conversation. If they are sent out and brought back again later on, it will do no harm. But as things are now, one can't answer for anything. But you see what he writes, said another, pointing to a printed sheet he held in his hand. That's another matter. That's necessary for the people, 
said the first. What is it? asked Pierre. Oh, it's a fresh broadsheet. Pierre took it and began reading. His Serene Highness has passed through Mosheysk in order to join up with the troops moving forward, moving toward him, and has taken up a strong position where the enemy will not as soon attack him. Forty-eight guns with ammunition have been sent him from here, and His Serene Highness says he will defend Moscow to the last drop of blood, and is even ready to fight in the streets. Do not be upset, brothers, that the law courts are closed. Things have to be put in order, and we will deal with villains in our own way. When the time comes, I shall want both town and peasant lads, and will raise the cry a day or two beforehand, but they are not wanted yet, so I hold my peace. An axe will be useful, a hunting spear not bad, but a three-pronged fork will be best of all. A Frenchman is no heavier than a sheaf of rye. Tomorrow after dinner I shall take the Iberian icon of the Mother of God to the wounded in the Catherine Hospital where we will have some water blessed that will help them to get well quicker. I too am well now. One of my eyes was sore, but now I am on the lookout with both. But military men have told me that it is impossible to fight in the town, said Pierre, and that the position... Well, of course, that's what we're saying, replied the first speaker. And what does he mean by one of my eyes was sore, but now I am on the lookout with both, asked Pierre. The Count had a sty, replied the adjutant, smiling, and was very much upset when I told him people had come to ask what was the matter with him. By the by, Count, he added suddenly, addressing Pierre with a smile, we heard that you have family troubles and that the Countess, your wife, I've heard nothing. Pierre replied unconcernedly, but what have you heard? Oh, well, you know, people often invent things. I only say what I heard. But what did you hear? Well, they say, continued the adjutant with the same smile, that the Countess, your wife, is preparing to go abroad. I expect it's nonsense. Possibly, remarked Pierre, looking about him absent-mindedly. And who is that? he asked, indicating a short old man in a clean blue peasant overcoat with a big snow-white beard and eyebrows and a ruddy face. He, as a tradesman, that is to say, he's the restaurant keeper. Verus Argen. Perhaps you've heard of that affair with the proclamation. Oh, so that is Verus said Pierre, looking at the firm, calm face of the old man and seeking any indication of his being a traitor. That's not he himself, that's the father of the fellow who wrote the proclamation, said the adjutant. The young man is in prison, I expect it will go hard with him. An old gentleman wearing a star and another official, a German, wearing a cross around his neck, approached the speaker. It is a complicated story, you know, said the adjutant. That proclamation appeared about two months ago. The Count was informed of it. He gave orders to investigate the matter. Gabriel Ivanovich here made the inquiries. The proclamation had passed throughout exactly sixty-three hands. He asked one, from whom did you get it? From so-and-so. He went to the next one, from whom did you get it? And so on until he reached Verus Jargon. A half-educated tradesman, you know, a pet of a trader, said the adjutant, smiling. They asked him who gave it to you, and the point is that we knew whom he had it from. He could only have had it from the postmaster, but evidently they had come to some understanding. He replied, from no one, I made it up myself, and so it was reported to the Count, who sent for the man. 
From whom did you get the proclamation? I wrote it myself. Well, you know the Count, said the adjutant cheerfully, with a smile of pride. He flared up dreadfully. And just think of the fellow's audacity lying and, lying and obstinacy. And the Count wanted him to say he was from Klyotrov, I understand, said Pierre. Not at all, rejoined the adjutant in dismay. Klyotrev had his own sins to answer for without that, and that is why he has been banished. But the point is that the Count was much annoyed. How could you have written it yourself, said he, and he took up the Hamburg Gazette that was lying on the table. Here it is. You did not write it yourself, but translated it and translated it abominably. Because you don't even know French, you fool. And what do you think? No, said he, I have not read any papers. I made it up myself. If that is so, you are a traitor, and I'll have you tried, and you'll be hanged. Say from whom you had it. I have seen no papers. I made it up myself. And that was the end of it. The Count had the father fetched, but the fellow stuck to it. He was sent for trial, and condemned to hard labour, I believe. Now the father has come to intercede for him, but he's a good-for-nothing lad. You know, that sort of tradesman's son, a dandy and a lady-killer. He attended some lectures somewhere and imagines that the devil is no match for him. That's the sort of fellow he is. His father keeps a cook shop here by the stone bridge, and you know there was a large icon of God Almighty painted with a scepter in one hand and an orb in the other. Well, he took that icon home with him for a few days, and what did he do? He found some scoundrel of a painter. All right, there we go. Weird spot to end a chapter, but that's where the chapter ends. Have your say about it over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.